The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. So you will be selling the flat? Yeah, I'll have to. Not just today. Ooh, do I get mum's rates? I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Well, I suppose I could always get a sexy young lodger help me make ends meet. Oh. <laughs> no, seriously, though, listen. Are you sure this is what you want? You're not just letting Tracy force you into it. Not a total doormat. No. 50% doormat. Welcome to episode 92 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that wonders how many times Bethany has to tell her mother that she didn't get that restaurant job before it finally sinks in. I'm Gavin. Ugh, and I'm knackered. You've had a busy old day, haven't you? Yeah, it's only Friday and my weekend is just... It's fucked. <laughs> it's fucked in the air. It's so busy. <laughs> so busy. It was nice to see you at work, though. Uh, yeah. Nice to see you well, in Stelly. It was nice for you to, to walk over. To say hello, to oh, buy some cookies. So pissed off when you weren't in my building. Because, <laughs> oh, fuck, I'm going to have to haul my ass essentially a quarter of a mile, it feels, mm-hmm. <laughs> through a, um, a little woodland tunnel. Yes. Which is quite pretty. Which is nice. And, and from you can one building to the other. Rabbit prints in the snow. Right. Which Stelly loved. Yeah. Because you're normally in my building selling your cookies. Yes, this is the first once a year. year. This is the first year that we were in eight instead of one. Which is the new building. It's a nice building, but it's a it's confusing nice building. building. It can be, yes. <laughs> I, I don't know where anything is in that building. Me neither. It Meeting terrifies rooms. me. I know where bathrooms are and that's about it. And, and yet it's just one big... Chunk. Right. It's, it's a, a vestibule with like... It's like a hotel... Yeah, you have, you have your central... This is fascinating, I'm sure. You have your, your central area, and then you have the office spaces around the perimeter right, of it. Right, yeah. Going up five floors or whatever. Yes. <sighs> Apparently, we sold over 800 boxes of cookies today. So you sold... The three of us. 200, did you say? We we knew we sold over... over Probably over 200. Is that typical? Yeah, I think, I think so. Last year, we didn't do too well, but I think we... We we went for a later date, whereas this this year we did the second weekend of cookie sales. It's also the end of the month. It's also payday Friday. It's also payday, yeah. Last year it was payday. We always sell on a payday, but it was payday and bonus day. But we didn't do very well with both of those things. Everybody had already bought their cookies at that point. It's either payday or it's bonus day, because bonus day falls between paydays. Either way, you should have made. You should have sold some. Yeah, money. but everybody had already bought their <clears throat> cookies for the year because it was like the end of the. All right. So, yeah, we were quite busy. It was nice. Yeah, as Audrey and, then, and I were walking down to get lunch, there was like 
six or seven people walking with little bags full of mm-hmm. full of cookies. I said, well, I guess the cookie folks are here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, and if my Helen, nope, she's not there. Nope, because we were in eight. <sighs> and you came all the way. You and Ryan came all the way over to say hello. Right. That was so lovely. It was yeah. so lovely to see her. She walks over. She's like, hello, friends. <laughs> <laughs> So she was nice. looking forward to she was looking forward to seeing you guys. So she said, uh, I don't know if I should say this. I can cut this out if you think I should cut this out. Okay. But she said to me, People don't want to buy Girl Scout cookies from teenagers. That's true. And <laughs> And the girl who was selling at, in my building yeah. was a kind of surly looking She's a teenager. junior in high school, yes. Right. Yeah. She says, no, that's not what people want from their Girl Scout cookie experience. Yeah, and that's rather unfortunate. And people people can be downright awful. You know, they'll come up to the older girls and say, where are the real Girl Scouts? You're right. not a real Girl Scout. And right. we're like, yeah, we actually are real Girl Scouts. Thank you very much. Yeah. You can be a Girl Scout all the way up to a senior in high school. People are awful. People are awful. <laughs> and I mean... People say much worse to Girl Scouts than where the real Girl Scouts, but... I can imagine. Oh, by the way, that other girl was there as well. Yes. The one that you didn't see. She was having uh, lunch with her dad at that point when I went down, apparently. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and she's a fifth grader. She's like an actual girl. Right. But still. (laughs) An actual girl? Well, you know what I mean. Not a pretend girl. Yeah. Okay. See, but it would have been much worse if the two little girls or smaller girls had been in eight... And just the high schooler at one. There was no point for that because, no. Again, this is I'm sure utterly compelling for everyone who's listening. But <laughs> my building is a busy building. That's where the canteen is. That's where the cafeteria is. That's where everyone goes for lunch. Mm-hmm. So even if you work in the other other building, you typically walk. Yeah, to but get you know what? In lots my building, of, lots of people walked by and said, "Oh, we'll get you after lunch." And Sally's like, "Oh, great! They're going to buy from the other girls." But then came back and bought from Sally. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so she was hilarious when she came into the into my butt. Uh huh. Because I don't think she knows anybody that's on my team, really. No, the only person she really had a relationship with was Tony. She'll recognize Ryan because she saw Ryan earlier in the day, right? But she doesn't really know her. Uh-huh. But she came across and they were like, oh, it's good to see you. How was your day? And she was, immediately she just engages with them and She's starts like talking with them. The it was fantastic. The most kid. <laughs> Gives me a little fist bump and then yeah. she went on her way. And it was just so sweet. And then we left to sell <laughs> cookies outside in 11 degree wind chill temperatures. It was bloody cold today. It was so fucking cold. <laughs> it was so cold, you know, and we'd been selling, we'd already been selling cookies all day. And my period started. It was just... Oh, there we go, listeners. That's why you tune in. <laughs> We're normalizing something that happens to half of the half of the population of the okay, world. Sure. It's not that bad. Calm okay, down. Sure, but just... But Ke- Kenwood and Mayo don't talk about this. But anyway. Neither fine. one of them have periods. That's why. There's the joke. If you look for it, that's where the joke lies. Anyway, but, you know, so I started, I was already in pain, and then the cold just made me freeze up, and I was just, oh, God, by the time I got home. And Annabelle said that Diane wanted to stay an extra hour, and I went over to Diane, and I said, Diane, we can't stay. (laughs) Because at that point, the sun would have been going down, and Mm -hmm. it would have been even.
even worse. But anyway, so I have the, so that was that was today, and then tomorrow I have the Quiet Adventure Symposium, and and that should be fun, but it will be a long day because I have to be there like between seven thirty and eight, and I don't get done until five thirty. <laughs> and then, and then Sunday the kids have Destination Imagination. They have DI, and they do on Sunday. Why? Yeah, that's the tournament. Is oh god, Sunday. not that shut again. Oi, you what are you talking about? That means you get the whole day to yourself and it'll be <laughs> nice and quiet. Although I kind of feel like I might just drop the kids off and not stay for the whole thing. I'm still not sure what that is. Anyway. Well they're they're both gonna do improv. But because of our snow day on Wednesday, Stelly missed her practice. So her yeah, no. her uh coach wants her there an hour before the tournament begins. So she wants us in Parma at 8 a.m. Benny doesn't start until 9 a.m., but he has to come with us because there's no way in hell I'm driving all the way down to Parma right. just to drive all the way back up, just to drive all the way back down again. Right. <laughs> oh, I remember going to pick them up last year and they'd already gone because it finished an hour before you told me it finished. Right. That was fun. Ugh. We well, have... it, was just, it, was, it was just Benny. This year it's both of them. We have been speaking for eight minutes about Girl Scout cookies and your itinerary for the weekend. <laughs> and my period. And your period. Don't forget let's, that. Let's drink to that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shall we preamble? Oh, please say yes. Shall we preamble, my dear? Hmm. Yeah, I suppose so. Give me some of that periodic coding news. Actress Rachel Elizabeth will be returning to the cobbles, but not as the character she left as. <gasps> the actress, who once played Abby Sharp, the police constable, has returned as one of, one of Gemma's new yoga pals. Oh, is that where we've seen them before? Yeah. They're not very nice people. I don't think. Well, one of them's not very nice. And, you know... And the jury's out another one. We'll get to that when we, <laughs> when we get to that. Okay, okay. But, yeah. So it's once again, oh, I know that face, but that's not the name I know that face as. I like how sometimes they, they swap heads with characters and sometimes <laughs> they swap characters with heads. That's great. Corey actor Simon Gregson has gotten himself a sweet new side gig. Our favorite Muppet Steve will record a personalized message to fans for £30 through the service Celeb VM. However, he can't mention his character or Corey in the messages, so don't ask. It's like you can get like a birthday message from him, but as himself. I saw this weeks ago and I thought, wow, what a ripoff this is. Uh, apparently the guy who plays Peter does it as well. And there's some British pop singer who charges 80 pounds. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't have a name? No, because I fucking Ed Sheeran. No, it's not Ed Sheeran. I wouldn't know Ed Sheeran. No, it's like a British only. So. No. But hey, I paid 50 bucks for uh, Patrick Warburton's autograph. You paid so 50 bucks for that? That's why that's all that That's why that's why all that Nick got for Christmas. You paid 50 bucks for him to scribble with a Sharpie on a poster? Do you know how much it costs to get Chris Evans' autograph at, at the Ace Comic Con Yeah, but he's up? a big deal. Patrick Warburton's a big deal, too. That's a fuck. 
It's a big deal for Nick, and he was I got, chuffed with that gift. I got Marshall from Marshall Amps, the guy that uh-huh. makes Marshall Amps. I think it's Jim Marshall. Mm-hmm. I got his signature at a uh, convention for free. The guy who played Greedo in in the original Star Wars, he was asking 40 bucks for his autograph, and you never see his face in that movie. Yeah, it could be me. <laughs> what a rip-off. These... Scum. Subhuman scum. <laughs> oh, no, they got to make a living somehow. Yeah, they do. They get, they get paid millions <laughs> for acting in movies. Or top and safety for acting in Coronation Street. <laughs> I'm sure you get paid much, much more than that, Steve. <laughs> you don't deserve it. No, you do deserve it. I'm, I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. I'm not really. Yes, I am. Shush. You're digging yourself a grave over there, Brumi. Finally... Lucy Fallon has said that, amongst other things, like going to Thailand, she's hoping her post-Cobbles life will include her boyfriend Tom popping the question. The couple have been together for four years, and we only hope he's less problematic than Daniel. And that's Corey News. <laughs> it was a slow week. Evidently. <laughs> so, And so, I was freezing my ass off three hours ago. You should have been doing your Corey News if they kept you warm. So... That item, the last item, is uh-huh. Bethany telling the press that she wants her boyfriend to propose. Yes. Okie dokie. Her mailbag. Jesus. Kev. Do we, have, do we know Kev? I, Kev I think from that, the show? I think this might be a new one. Oh. A new correspondent. A new correspondent. That's exciting. If you're not, I'm sorry, Kev. <laughs> He says, regarding Fizz and Tyrone being the world's worst parents, I'm not sure if their reluctance to distance themselves and hope from Jade is because they want to avoid a scene or hassle. I reckon it's more about them not wanting to be murdered in their sleep by the little girl. Which is a fair point. Yeah, but if you... This is why she's the type of little girl who's going to murder you in your sleep, because they keep giving in to her. Also, I don't get the Molly Dobbs thing. Can you explain? He doesn't know about Cockney slang. Oh, it's not Cockney slang. It's not? I no. thought it was. What did you think it meant? I don't know. What, what rhymes with Dobbs? Cockney think, slang doesn't always have to rhyme with something else, doesn't it? That's the whole point, yes. It does. That's why it's called Cockney rhyming slang. It has to rhyme. You, my darling, you are currently, as you've already announced to our I'm hundreds, of, Dobbs, hundreds yes. of listeners, I, I, you're on your Molly Dobbs. Yes. I hope that explains it. Well, Kev, if you want me to be more explicit, then where does, let where me does, know. Yes, but where does the term come from? What term? Molly Dobbs. It doesn't. You just made it up? No, this is Kev's out in Tyrone's ex. Oh, so why why do you call... Did she die in a horrible, bloody way? Yes, but that's not why... In severe pain? Yes, but that's not why. It just sounds like a euphemism for... Building your doodads. That's that's all. It's a euphemism for being on your doodads. I, I, I you are a forty-three-year-old adult male. Forty-four-year-old adult no. male. Forty-five-year-old. Nope. How old? Forty-six-year-old adult. There we go. There we go. We got there in the end. I'm forty-three. We got there in the You're end. You're forty-six. Don't, I I already know how old I am, but apparently it takes you <laughs> four guesses. Recognize that that meant that for a second there, I thought I was still 40. (laughs) (laughs) 
You are a 46-year-old adult male. I am indeed. And I can't say... Menstruation. <laughs> it burns. <laughs> and yet you have no problem going out and buying me tampons because you are... No, I'm fine doing that. You're a... I've never bothered about doing that. You're a sexy modern man. I, I think it was probably the strangest uh, basket that I've ever purchased, though, because it was like <laughs> tampons, batteries, and a and some cheese, I think, was the three things I had in my basket. What's the strangest basket you've ever had? Listeners, <laughs> please take a moment and drop us a line and tell us what your strangest basket ever was. I don't know. But the talk I of the street at gmail.com. I don't know, but I recall that uh, when, I 16 sent, minutes. when I sent my boyfriend in college out for for tampons once, he said that he felt compelled just to buy something else because it felt weird to just have like, tampons in his in his in his basket like porn so he bought so he bought he bought a tub of peanut butter so peanut butter that's, and tampons. that's so much worse that's so much worse <laughs> tampons batteries and cheese that's yeah. my strangest basket yeah when i was in and also when i was in college like we would go out you know to the 24/7 walmart and and buy weird combinations of things just to mess with the cashiers like duct tape and kitchen knives <laughs> that's 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 all creepy though. and cheerios <laughs> okay that that, that brings it back up again <laughs> 17 minutes hindsight corner There is nothing in the hindsight corner. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I have now started doing that every every week on SpongeBob Squarecast. What, saying welcome, welcome, Mm -hmm. welcome? It's a nice way to open the show, I think. Yes. It probably confuses and annoys Stelly, though, because she doesn't get to watch John Oliver. No, she says welcome as well. Yeah. She seems to enjoy it. Yeah. Just enough time. Oh, sorry. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Claudia McClaudyface. <laughs> this was Steve beating Claudia in a bit on a shiny new house that eventually fell through. Kind of like what happens this week. This week. <laughs> I was Gavin, and you were the best mother ever because you were selling Girl Scout cookies. Wow. <laughs> we talk about the same shit. All the time. We hit our 10,000th download. Famous people who share the initials RP got itself a theme tune. <laughs> Amy got a secret abortion. Tracy and Irish Tina fight in the street. That wasn't a secret, though, was it? The abortion. Everybody she only, knew she, she, was... she only told Liz that she was getting it. Because remember, Steve and Tracy thought they were going to adopt that baby. The baby. Yeah, that's right. Carla postpones fixing the factory roof. <gasps> I hope it'll that be, doesn't have dire consequences in the future. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Daniel is stressed or something and Brian spills coffee on his laptop. Remember that? And then Sinead says everything was saved to cloud anyway. So. Right, yeah. Rita picks up Paul's undercrackers in her flat with a pair of tongs. <laughs> Clayton runs through a graveyard. Oh, yes. yes. Good times. This episode had the Corey Empty Cup of the Year award winning clip in it the the 
policewoman who explained to Shona that everything was going to be okay. Ah. Our moment of the week was David and Gail um, melding minds. Oh, yes. And our boring moment of the week was Steve changing a light bulb. And that <laughs> was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall mm-hmm. we dive in? Uh, my dear. Please. Our first storyline tonight. Uh-oh. Oh. Number one for sale. Ugh. On Monday, Peter arrives home to find a for sale sign outside number one after all. That's strange because Ken said that he wasn't going to sell up. Or he was just thinking about it. Claudia says it changed his mind and Tracy is fuming, selling up. Tracy and Amy's childhood home, she says. Claudia don't give a shit. Tracy doesn't think they can let this happen. So at Streetcars, Tracy barges in and announces Ken's plan. She reckons they should buy number one. It's going for a song, and the flat is too small. Liz is worried what selling the flat would mean for her, but Tracy, she don't give a shit about that. For a song? Mm Mm-hmm. 120? No, she she wants to... Lowball it. Yeah. Was it 90? Or 130? 150? Well, she ends up going for 130, but I think she wanted to lowball it to 110 or something. Either way, either way. Ken and Claudia are asking way too much for that place. Let's be honest. You think so? How many people... That's nothing. How much crime is on that street? <laughs> okay, so it's a mid-terrace next to a pub. But my flat above the bookies in Stirling was 110? 110 for that flat, for a flat. For a two-bedroom flat above a bookies in Stirling was 110. This is a ex-bedroom Mid terrace in Manchester, in a in a crime ridden street, <laughs> where a factory just fell down. It does seem pretty cheap though. Meh. Anyway, Liz finds Stephen Roy's rolls. He's doing his sums and thinks that they can maybe swing it if they sell the flat. And he gives Liz first refusal on it. She calls him fifty percent doormat, but secret, secretly looks forward to getting a sexy lodger in to help with the mortgage repayments. And Steve is kind of sick in his mouth a little bit. Right, as we all are. Tracy and Claudia sit down to talk numbers. Tracy was thinking one hundred five, and Claudia chuckles. Jog on, she says. Tracy thinks it'll be worth it to keep it in the family. Claudia says that she and Ken will be in touch. Why? Why is she speaking to Claudia about this? Ken was strangely absent on Monday. Yeah. That was that was very strange, because do do you think he was sick? He must have been sick that day. He must have gotten a cold or something. Maybe because that makes absolutely no sense that she should be have been speaking there, yeah. to Claudia about this because Claudia's name isn't on number one. They're not married. No, she has no claim over that. No, so why would she be negotiating with Tracy? She's wearing her pants in that relationship, I think. Well, this is true, but still. Ken so, should have been there. So Tracy leaves just as Peter arrives. Tracy, not realising that maybe it would be best to keep her mouth shut, tells Peter about her making an offer on number one. Listen, she's rubbing his face in it. Oh, do, do you for think? For a reason. She advises he looks for somewhere else to live. She even tells him what she offered. So he knows mm-hmm. that she's undercut what Ken's looking for. Yes. Then Peter's at home wondering if Ken has accepted Tracy's offer. Ken calls it mutually beneficial, but Peter thinks that Tracy is at it. He storms out and he grabs his teddy on the way. Because they're all they're kind of packing up all their old stuff. Right. The, the teddy and was she supposed to be. That, yeah, Tracy's. because Ken thinks that's Tracy's because apparently Tracy is the most beloved child. Oh, wait, so Ken isn't on Monday. He's just not in that scene. That's weird. That's weird. 
In the Rovers, Peter tells Carla that the only reason Tracy is doing this is to rub his face in it, which is what you just said. Mm-hmm. He thinks they should put them off for themselves, even though they don't currently live together. He gives her the time it takes to have a was to make up her mind about it. <sighs> it's the first time we've seen Peter and Carla together for a while. Yes. There's lots of I'm people happy about this. <laughs> I don't mind it as much. I- Carla with Roy and Nina? Intelligent, assertive, interesting, strong. Carla with Peter? Doormat. Do you think she's been a doormat? Well, I think Peter is treating her like a doormat. Because the way that this works out is her being intelligent enough to play the game and, yeah. to, and to convince him to do it. Right. E- eventually, yes. But in this, in the beginning, you know, he's talking her into buying a place she does not want or even putting in an offer on a place she does not want. Carla with Roy is so much more interesting than Carla and Peter. I'm sorry. I like her better as Roy's adopted daughter. I know. I I, I don't mind her with Peter as much as you do. But I do agree that the dynamic of the relationship with Roy is far more interesting. Absolutely. So Peter and Carla are back at number one. They've made their offer, market value, and this puts Ken in a very difficult position. Claudia's excited that the extra money will allow them to upgrade, and Ken reckons that he needs to talk to Tracy. <sighs> in the rovers, Peter takes great pleasure in telling Tracy that he's putting a market value offer on number one. Tracy accuses him of doing this just to get one over her and vows to match the offer. And Carla is turned on by Peter's masculinity. No, she's not. No, she's not. <laughs> she calls him childish. Yeah. Yeah, because he is being childish. They're both being childish, to be fair. Who wants this place at this point, do you think? Tracy does seem to want to get out of that flat. Yeah. Peter Peter wants it because if he doesn't buy it, he's out in the street. Right. And he needs to think about where he and Simon, Simon are going to live. live. But Simon doesn't... He barely exists anymore, so that's not really a concern. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's like Tracy being incredibly callous about poor Oliver. Oh, you ever get to that? The other one. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit about that wee boy. It's very sad. On Wednesday, Peter and Ken are doing the dishes and Peter makes the big pitch for selling to him. It keeps it in the Barlow family, you see, because mm. Tracy's just... just Deirdre's daughter. Ken says it'll be the same if Tracy bought it. Yeah. It come, in comes Tracy to do some measuring up. She doesn't reckon he could... Uh, Peter could even afford the mortgage, which is nice of what they say. Right, especially since she and Steve really can't afford one either. What's Peter doing with himself these days? He's a taxi driver who never seems to drive a taxi. No. Carla is... Carla has money. Mm. I don't know how, but she does have money. Neither of them have regular Neither one of them are gamefully employed, really, no. Nobody seems to be really gamefully employed on the street except for Johnny, Roy, and Aggie. Jenny. And Jenny. Dave. Okay, yeah. Chase. All right, shut up. Uh, who else? <laughs> uh, James. All right, enough. Ed. Okay. And some others. <laughs> Peter and Carla chatting about buying number one. Carla's not so sure about where the money's going to come from. Yay! Well, that's a good thing to say. If they're going to get a mortgage, it should be for a place that they both love. And this is absolutely true. Yes. Number one doesn't really work for Carla. Number one isn't Carla. 
Number one isn't anybody. Have you seen that wallpaper? <laughs> Which we'll get to. Which apparently somehow they were able to find more of somewhere. They must have had like an extra roll up in the attic or something. Because mm-hmm. let's let's not forget there was oh, a the, hole in the, the wall. The whole, <laughs> Ed knocked a hole in the wall. <laughs> and actually, Peter agrees that it's not really it's not really hot. And so he says he's going to tell Ken that they're pulling out. But not like but, that. But not like that. <laughs> Tracy asks what Peter's going to do when she and Steve move in. Are they going to move in with Roy? Two Alkies and a weirdo under the same roof. They both go to each other to the point that Ken tells them to both fuck off. Tracy's having this house, she says, the fuck you are, says Peter. Yeah, totally forgetting that he was there to mm-hmm. pull out. But not like that. Tracy and Peter continue to argue. She thinks he's about to retire anyway. What age are you? He should go with Ken. And Peter catches Tracy seemingly forgetting to count Oliver in her calculations. Then in comes Adam, who picks up on what's going on, and he says that he might have a solution. Which at that point made me think that he was going to buy number one <laughs> instead. That would be great. Oh God, Sarah would have been pissed. Here's another one with. Some gainful employment. Peter meets up with Carla in the Rovers and explains Tracy's horrendous insults. He admits that he hasn't thrown in the towel and Adam has suggested sealed bids. Mm. This is the opposite of what we agreed then, says Carla. Yes. Because he went round to withdraw his offer. Right. And ended up getting into a a kind of... Right. Pissing that with his sister. Exactly. Peter wants to make sure Tracy doesn't rip off Ken. Carla wants to do it. She says, let's put in an offer. She has an idea where everyone can get what they want. So I think this is Peter admitting that he doesn't actually want to live there. Mm-hmm. He just wants to make sure that Ken doesn't get ripped off. Ripped off. Okay. So the whole thing kind of shifts at this point. He, right. He no longer wants, which explains what's going to happen the coincidence in that kind of happens in, on Friday. Mm-hmm. So Tracy turns up at streetcars to show some swabs to Steve, who couldn't give a... Who could, <laughs> and they're all kind of the same colour, so except me, for that... Let, let me run that again. Tracy turns up at streetcars to show some swabs to Steve, who couldn't give a solitary fuck. Yeah, and they're all pretty much the same shade of grey, except for that that baby poop green there at the end. Oh, I didn't really... Could you see them? I, I couldn't really notice Yeah, there's them. like grey, slightly darker grey, baby poop. <laughs> nice. Tracy is convinced that they're going to get the house and wants them to up the offer, and Steve finally agrees to 125, and Tracy thinks that should be good enough. Apparently... According to Tracy, baby poop is calming. Or the colour of baby poop To is anybody calming. other than the baby? <laughs> or the person changing the baby. Steve's at Royce Rolls trying to get info on how much Carla and Peter have bid, but Carla tells him he's sling his hook, and then Mary says something vaguely amusing. <laughs> Carla goes into the florist with the bid. At this point, you're thinking, she just leaves it on the counter and then walks no, out to take a phone call. No, no, it's tucked into a designer magazine. Oh, is a it? A home designer magazine. She goes in to buy flowers, then she gets a phone call. She leaves everything there to go outside and, make, and listen to the phone call. Right. And Tracy doesn't miss a beat, and she picks up the envelope and has a look inside, and it says, 130,000. Then Carla comes back in, grabs the envelope and the flowers, and leaves. And she leaves her coffee and says to Tracy, well, you can just have it. Well, she picks up her magazines, because Tracy has tucked the envelope back in the magazines. Okay. So... The sealed offers are on the table at number one. <gasps> and Adam, What's going to happen? Adam arrives to oversee it and to be an adjudicator. He checks that all the sealed envelopes have been done above board and nobody's had a chance to see them and nobody knows what the bids are, 
outside right. of the people who are making the offer. Right. Adam announces that Peter has offered 130000 And at this point, I'm like, oh, because oh. I thought they were going to offer a little bit more. Because, right, because they're trying Because clearly trick. they deliberately tricked. Tracy. But Tracy has offered 135000 No, it wasn't, says Steve. <laughs> He's like, what? Fair's fair, says Carolyn. Peter, congratulations. And Steve is absolutely fuming. Yes, he is. Back home, Steve doesn't know where this extra 10000 is going to come from and thinks that they need to pull out the sale. They need to be realistic here. And so Tracy and Steve turn up at number one and Peter's already there complaining about something else that happens in a different storyline. Tracy tries to back out, but Ken announces that it feels right to sell to Tracy. Deirdre would want Amy to grow up there right enough. Isn't Amy already grown up? She's had one abortion at this point. They want Tracy to grow up there? They want Amy to grow up there, not Tracy. Amy, Amy. Tracy, Tracy's already grown up there. I, 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 Amy's already grown up. And maybe Oliver will grow up there. Maybe not. <laughs> this is like the third week of the row that you've dropped some sinister shade shit on Oliver. He was coughing all over that Hulk cake. That can't be good. This is a soap opera. <laughs> you think he's going to die? I didn't say that. Uh, so, so Tracy's moving it to number one then. Is Ken moving out? Let, let's let's <sighs> let's attack that first. Is Ken moving out? Uh, there's a part of me that thinks Ken's not. Ken's going to back out of this whole thing. The way he was talking about that wallpaper <laughs> made me think he's he's starting to regret his choice. I still think it's hilarious that on that bus trip, you know, he gives this whole long spiel about how he always wanted to go out and and see the world and just got stuck in Coronation Street and never really got to live his life and, and go exploring and stuff. And and so and so now he's going to move into a retirement home that's down just, the street. That's kind of given up, isn't it? Down the street. And this is his big move out of Coronation Street is Shady Acres a little ways away. Shady Acres, where people come to die. Right. And play croquet. And have massive amounts of unprotected sex. Oh. <laughs> lots and God. lots of STDs in those places. No rest for the wicked. <laughs> so you think he is moving out or do you think he's not moving out? Uh, I think he probably is. I don't know. I just don't see Tracy in number one. I don't know. I think Ken might back out and that will be the end of his and Claudia's relationship. Although I don't see Claudia in some place like a Shady Acres. Because as you pointed out just a short while ago, she was buying a house a year ago. Well, that was you that pointed that out. No, it was you when we were doing Last Year Tonight. Oh. Remember? Because, and as you pointed out, last year around this time, it was Claudia and Steve in a bidding war for right. a bigger place. right. And then that fell through, and then she got that other place just recently. And there was a oh, big to-do about that. Oh, this is all about the um, ex-criminals. Right. The rehab place. Yeah. That never amounted to anything. She did eventually move into that place, because she couldn't back out, I don't think. Or something happened. Or they weren't going to build the criminal place after all, and so she decided to move in, and there was this big to-do about... Is she in, you know, about her and Ken deciding they didn't want to live together, that they liked their relationship the way it was. They were adamant that they weren't going to live together, yeah. And now they're 
both she's selling this place that she just bought although she hasn't really said anything about her selling her place it's all about ken selling his place none of this makes any sense well it's just to talk about liz buying the flat do you really think that's gonna happen well how's she gonna buy it what does she do she works at the hospital remember She's part-time receptionist at a health center. Mm-hmm. You know what I think is going to happen? Whoa. I think Liz is going to go and be an airline stewardess and travel the world. Based on what? Based on the fact that when Charlie was talking about the fact that she was getting that airline stewardess job again, Liz kind of got a little starry-eyed. These are really hard jobs to get. I had a friend who was a who applied to be a stewardess and ended up being a... She worked on the desk at uh, Edinburgh Airport for British Airways. You're really, talk- really tough. You're talking about real life, though. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about well, a soap opera. Yeah, but who's going to give Liz that job? She looks really good in tight pants. <laughs> Leopard Print Airways welcomes you aboard. <laughs> Our 11.30 service to she's gonna Leopardville. Work, she's going to work for Spirit <laughs> Airlines. <laughs> Our next storyline tonight, Ray Weinstein. He's got his little uh, Zimmer frame back again, by the way, as he got found guilty on two counts. Right, and then and then got chest pains and got put into uh, the hospital as opposed to prison. But it's Bellevue Hospital, so it's almost prison. <laughs> on Monday, Abby comes round to see Kev. She hasn't slept with worry. Kev thinks that Ray Weinstein is bluffing, and they can check in with Paula later to see if there's any new evidence. Mm-hmm. Paula comes round and confirms that there's no new evidence, although Abby doesn't have her alibi anymore and Kev might be in bother too. But if Abby doesn't get charged, Kev is unlikely to get charged. Just stay out of Ray's way, advises Paula. Just stay out of Ray's way. Unfortunately, it's very difficult to do when Ray keeps throwing himself in their way. Mm. And the garage, Tyrone, Tyrone's back. His trip to Liverpool has been a tremendous success. Yay! And it turns out that Fizz and Hope our best friends again. Woohoo! Yay. Tyrone is sickened by Kev and Abby's uh, public display... Public... Blah, blah, blah. Public displays of affection. Thank you. Just like we are. Then Kev gets Although a call... Although this week it wasn't so bad. What was it wasn't. So I wasn't quite as turned off as as I was last week by Kevin and Abby smooching. Mm. <laughs> I still have a slight issue with it. <laughs> Kev gets a call from a coach that's broken down outside Oldham. It's a two-man job, and Tyrone and Kev jump into action while Abby ignores the sexism and is left alone in the garage. Then Ray Weinstein appears from around the corner. Isn't isn't Ray lucky? Isn't Ray lucky that it was Tyrone and Kev who went on that job? What would have happened if Kev and Abby had, who, let's remember, are now little lovebirds, had said, ooh, a nice, a nice, uh, a nice wee drive. And a, to... quick, and a quick wee trembler in the parking. Right. Ray's just really lucky. If that had happened, I guess he would have gone. Oh well. <laughs> I guess I can't. I guess I can't blackmail them into selling. I can't do it today. I'll have to yeah. wait until Wednesday. Yeah. Ray slinks in while Abby has her head in the car. Ray's mate has sent Kev and Tyrone on this wild goose chase. Abby says that she's not scared of him and he thinks that she might change her mind about that. See, one of the guests at the party has a dash cam and it captures Abby stealing the car. Do you think that's true? 
Yeah, because he shows her the footage. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. Does he? Mm-hmm. All pigs tit, says Abby. The police haven't seen any of this yet, and Abby begs him not to tell and offers to pay him off. But he doesn't want no money. He wants another go on Abby's fronties. Charlotte Square <laughs> Hotel, he says. You can say that, yet you can't say menstruation. <laughs> be there or be incarcerated for three to five, he says. I'm confused by this because, well, as it turns out, I'm not confused by it. But at the point, I was confused by it because he's already been with Abby. Mm-hmm. And I think that once he's been there... He's done that. He's no longer interested in that. Right. He wants to move on and, mm-hmm. and, and, and be horrible to somebody else. Yes. So she says that she's with Kevin and not interested in sleeping with him. You've done it before, he says. Either I fuck you or the police does. Take your pick. And she throws him out. Yikes. Kevin Tyrone get back. It was a flaming prank, says Kev. And Kev sees Abby looking quiet and stressed. He reassures her that Paula would tell him if evidence had cropped up and he tells her not to worry about him and Jack. Then Abby meets Paula in the rovers. She comes clean about torching the car and says Ray has some dash cam evidence. Paula has upped the ante. Because Abby, who was looking at 3 to 5, is now looking at 2 to 8. And Kev's looking at 4 to 12 months. Which really isn't that bad. <sighs> you get out in half. Right. Roughly. Yeah. So a couple of months inside. Yeah, that kid will be fine. I'll be potentially looking at a year to four. Eh. <laughs> She's not going anywhere. No. She's, she's really them. not going anywhere. No. Neither Kev. No. Jack's home from school. He's been getting teased about having one foot from that punk Darren. Really? Really? Because, because he's been this way for a while now. And... Mm-hmm. Think about a year. Children over a year. Yeah, nobody, nobody really moves away. So you'd think you'd think that the kids at his school would have been bored by teasing him for having only one foot by now, especially but, since he's got that great athletic leg as well that he can kick the soccer ball around with. Maybe it's because of plot. Oh well, there is that. Because Kev then gets to say Darren should look in the mirror because he has three flaming haircuts, and the two of them go off to play Xbox. Thanks for making me feel so much better with your stinking partner, says Jack. And Abby watches all this, then phones Ray to tell him, it's on. Oh, it's on. Sure. So Abby's on her way to get her hole off of Ray when she's stopped by Sally, who gives her a big spiel about how she knows Abby cares about Kev and Jack and gives it big licks. Abby freaks out and rushes away. Then Sally sees Kev in the pub and she explains about seeing Abby earlier. She wasn't herself and Sally thinks she should go find her. No, Sally thinks that he should go find her. Right. He says he'll give her a call and Sally gives him a hard stare so that he calls her right away. She answers and tells him that she has an appointment. He invites her round tonight for a special tea. Ooh. And she accepts. A specialty. A special tea. A, a specialty. Spe- a special dinner. Sounds fine to me, says Kev. Abby's in the hotel, though, and knocks on Ray Weinstein's door. He invites her in and she tells him that she's only there to get that footage because she cares about Kev. He tells her to go have a hooer's bath and then gives her a sexy negligee and tells her to put it on. Ugh. Ray is secretly... This annoyed me mm-hmm. immensely. Ray is secretly taking a picture of Abby as she dresses because for some reason she hasn't closed and locked the bathroom door. Seriously. <laughs> seriously. Are you, are you uh, come on, seriously Abby. asking me to believe this? You're better than that. No. She shits with the door open? She told, and especially because considering how much she is. hates this, she would have shut and locked that door. 
So she comes out and he tells her that she's done much worse than this for a bag of smack and she agrees, which is why she couldn't give a fuck about this. Let's get this over and done with, she says. You disgust me. Yeah, well, he tells her that she disgusts him and tells her to get dressed and get out. He throws her out in the corridor and says it's going to be in touch. Well, she, he lets her get dressed. He doesn't throw her out in the negligee. No, she's in the negligee when she gets thrown in the room. She's got her clothes, but she's in that that thing that, that he bought. It's awful. It's awful. Why do I why do I not remember this correctly? I'm, I'm not I sure. Abby wanders into the rovers. She's got dressed, by the way. Sally thinks that she should be at Kev's, but Abby thinks Kev and Jack can do so much better than her. Sally probes her for her, for more info, but Abby says that she's just been paranoid, and Jenny reminds her of the special tea, and Abby leaves, heading to Kev's. Special tea. The special tea. <laughs> Would you stop saying that? Is a heart shaped pizza. It's pathetic. And there's also just one of them, and it's tiny, and it has, I think, five pieces of pepperoni on it and three pieces of mozzarella. And that's a special tea. It's got some mushrooms on there too, I think. There's mushrooms? I don't, I don't remember seeing mushrooms. <laughs> but this is the only thing that's on that oven rack. So it's not like he's made three of them. And yeah, this is supposed to feed three people. Right. And this is special. Right. And and yet there are only two place settings on the table. So poor the Jack's p- fucking off. Jack's Jack sitting in front of the in front of the YouTube right. watching Mr. Beast. I don't know what that is, but it sounds awful. <laughs> so Jack wonders if this means that Kev loves Abby. And he doesn't answer and is saved by the doorbell. Kev's got flowers and is wearing a shirt. Yay Surprise, he says, but it's not Abby. It's Ray Weinstein. Right. And now Abby arrives and is shocked to see Ray's already there. She assumes that Ray has told Kev about the hotel and immediately apologises, but it becomes clear that Ray has only told Kev about the dash cam footage. What's your price, says Kev? And Ray, as you predicted last week, wants the garage. And the arches. Ray's already drawn up the paperwork, because sure. Sure. He's offering a fair-ish price and Kev will have to convince Tyrone. He leaves the offer on the table and gives Kev 24 hours and on his way out, Ray says that he can smell something burning. It's a shit pizza. (laughs) Probably for the best. Abby breaks down as she apologises and Kev wonders what on earth he's going to do. That was was like the weirdest way to end the episode ever. I'm so sorry, Kev. What am I going to (laughs) do? On Wednesday. Just the way he said it seemed like a horrible 80s sitcom. Sort of, what are we going to do now? Oh my goodness, what are we going to do now? On Wednesday, Ray meets Kev and Abby in the street. He tells Kev to hurry up and make his mind up or Jack can tell his pals how principled Kev is banged up in prison. He's offering 90000 for the garage in the That's hilarious she's... because Kev has already been in prison. And is prepared to, to lease it back to Kev. He needs a decision by the end of the day. Tyrone sees this exchange and wonders what it's all about and Kev says it's about nothing. <laughs> so they get to stay there just rather than paying a mortgage, they pay rent, rent. on it. And don't have to pay the taxes anymore. Doesn't seem that bad. Yeah, but we don't know how much he'd be charging in rent. True. Later, Kev's working on a car. He and Abby talk over their options. They don't have any. Kev can't risk going to prison and maybe selling up is for the best. Abby can't believe Ray wants the garage. And this is all to punish her, she says. 
So Abby goes round to see Ray and tells Kev uh, and tells him that Kev won't be selling up and tells him to take it out and her instead of Kev. Ray calls her Saint Abby. He tells her that unless she wants it coming out about their little hotel meeting, she'd better talk him into selling. And he shows her the photo that he was somehow able to take through the uh, open bathroom door. <sighs> so Abby goes for a pint with Kev. He's still not made up his mind. Abby admits that she went to see Ray and it was all for now. Kev goes to arrange to meet Ray one last time to try and get Ray to change his mind. I don't understand why they think that Ray's going to change his mind. They know he's a creep. He's made no noises whatsoever up to this point that he's even thinking about changing his mind. No. And they know what kind of creep he is. Right. So Ray's in the rovers and Johnny isn't pleasant to Ray because Johnny knows that Ray's a sex pest, I guess. Also... Also, let's not forget New Year's Eve, where Jenny had this whole thing planned and was posting about it, and then Ray stole her idea, and the rovers was empty. Oh, that's true. So Ray joins Kev in a booth. He isn't interested in going easy on Kev, and Kev says that he still has to talk to Tyrone about selling his 30% share. Hmm. Now, Kev has 50%. Tyrone, who I thought had 50%, only has 30%. Kev so, must have 70%. No, he has 50%. So who has the other 20%? What's her name? His daughter. Sophie. Sophie. Sophie yeah. has the other 20%. Yeah. So she's not consulted in any of this. No, because she's a woman and a lesbian. <laughs> and a lesbian. And out traveling the world. So she doesn't give a fuck. She doesn't, she doesn't have a say. <laughs> and nobody makes any attempt to contact her to find out if she's interested. No. Ray says he meant what he said. Uh, Kev has until the end of the day. So Tyrone and Kev finally got a chance to talk. Kev explains about what happened with Ray, who wants to buy the garage, or Kev and Abby are going to go to prison, and Tyrone is mad. How thick are you? Abby likes a bonfire, and Tyrone loses his business. Is that how this works? And angrily, he storms away. And he's not wrong. No, of course Why he's not wrong. Why is he more assertive here than with his own child? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Well, he and Kev have this long history. That's true. Because of the Molly Dobbs. <laughs> Every time we just... <laughs> Abby sees this and Eileen checks that Abby's okay. Let's chat later, she says. Mm. Abby goes to see Tyrone. She apologises. He doesn't know why Kev lied for her and tells him to come clean with the police. Then Kev arrives. He admits that they don't know if Ray can be trusted or not. So this deal might be might not be the best idea even from the from the get go. Right. Tyrone doesn't know why Kev brought this mess to their door and he admits it's because that he loves Abby. I have a question. They're not selling the business, they're selling the building. Building, right. Tyrone has a thirty percent interest in the business, not in the building. Or does he? Does he have an interest in the building and the it business? Seems, it seems that way, yeah. So he doesn't lose any of the business. Just the building? But if the business doesn't have a premises... Premises? premises. If, the building, if the building doesn't have a premises, then there is no business. Yeah, I guess. None of this makes any sense. I think it does. I'm okay with this. Tyrone thinks this is a mess. Kev, well... 
it makes sense insofar as this, none of this makes sense. Right. For, for, and what's about to happen makes even less sense. But yes. So Tyrone thinks this is a mess. Kev offers to give Ty some equity of his or buying Tyrone out completely if that's what Tyrone wants. But that mm-hmm. isn't what Tyrone, what Tyrone wants. wants. No. After all these years, Tyrone says, Kev says he'd take a bullet for Tyrone. Please, please, take one for me. <laughs> and Tyrone says, you want me to hit sick hope on him? <laughs> that would be brilliant. That would be brilliant. <laughs> So Abby knows that streetcars. Maybe, maybe that's nope. what they can do. Maybe they can say that it's not Abby on the dash cam. It's Hope. No, it's clearly Cause Abby. Because this, this is Hope's mo, lighting things on fire. Right, that's, that's true. So Abby's at streetcars. She's explained the situation to Eileen. She reckons uh, tabards and group showers are in her future. She also tells Eileen about Ray's indecent proposal. Eileen's impressed that Kev is standing by her, but it makes sense because Anna went through something similar with Phelan. Hmm. Phelan wanted to sleep with Anna to keep his mouth shut, and Anna, not at the time, but mm-hmm. had history with Kev. Yes. And Kev forgave her because Kev's such a great guy. <laughs> Abby goes round to see Kev to tell him the truth, but it's already done. Ray has bought the garage, and Tyrone is furious. He tells Abby that Kev did this for her and he hopes it's worth it. Ray then announces that Abby offered her hole up to Ray to make him forget all about this. So. So lying. So, way to go, Ray. Back home, Abby wants to explain. She said that she was blackmailed. She was doing this for Kev and nothing happened. Kev wants to know if she would have went through with it. Abby asks why it was okay for Anna and he says that was different and can't believe that he sold his business for her. She says that she was ready to sell herself for him. Fair point. See yourself out, says Kev. What an asshole. (laughs) On Friday, Sally goes to the garage hoping to see Abby, but she didn't stay at Kev's and she didn't stay at Sally's, so where did she stay? Maybe she stayed at that raise, says Tyrone, helpfully. Yes. Kev explains about what happened yesterday. Poor Abby, says Sally, who takes no time in reminding Kev that this was done for him. She calls Kev a plank and in hopes Abby hasn't gone on a bender. And Kev sucks a thoughtful tooth at this. Because he's an asshole. (laughs) <laughs> Later, Sally finds Abby on the, ca- on the couch. And not in a good way. She was out on the lash last night, but didn't touch the drugs. Sally thinks Abby and Kev need to figure things out. She says Kev just was taken by surprise. Then Abby goes off to puke her ring. Later, Sally has set a table for two and invited Kev round. He brought flowers. Have fun, says Sally, who then leaves them to it. So they're kind of forced into having dinner together and talking. It's uh, shepherd's pie, I believe. Ooh. It didn't look like shepherd's that's, pie was on the plate. That's a, that's a real romantic meal right there. Shepherd's pie. Mince and ties. More romantic than a heart-shaped pizza, though. True. <laughs> so in the romantic stakes, Sally is at least one up on Kev. On Kev Which makes sense. Who thinks that uh, dough shaped in a heart and then baked is, is romantic. <sighs> well, in, in Kev's defense, it's not the worst meal anybody served anybody this week. Oh, wasn't it? Oh, you're looking at me like this is obvious. Oh, now you're doubly looking like me like this is obvious. I'm not sure. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Listeners, I just held a ruler to my neck and made a dead face. I am Timbot4000. <laughs> Tim's fucking dad can go and fling shite at himself. We'll get to that, Timbot. That's helpful, Timbot4000. Thank you. 
<laughs> it doesn't seem that the dinner is going well. Abby says that she didn't ask for an alibi, but Kev says that he only got involved because he loves her, which is why he reacted so badly to the Ray thing. And she says that, yeah, I, I think the same thing about you that you think about me, maybe. And that was nice, I guess. Meh. And that's where we finish that storyline tonight. Or this week. Hmm. Thoughts? Is Kev going to sell the garage? Well, he's already sent the paperwork. Something can happen, though, is right? Something, is something going to happen to put Ray in prison between now and next week? No. So that he does it, so that the sale doesn't go through? No. Is Gary going to kill Ray? Next week? Yeah. No. Is Ray going to kill Gary? The two don't know each other. Because he's secretly Rick the Chin's brother. People love this theory of mine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And I put I put them I I put their pictures right next I to saw each it. other. I saw it. They do look the like the one mistake that you made was though that you thought that Ray was Rick the Chin's younger brother. Right. Yeah. He's once clearly I, the older brother. Once I took once I had the pictures next to each other, but I couldn't I couldn't go back. Right. But yeah, they look more alike than John Stape and Jade. Jade. Yeah, I thought so too. So. And there's and there has been this theory going around that Ray has some other connection to somebody on the street. They have different last names, though. That doesn't mean anything. Because Ray's a Weinstein. He's not. And Rick was a Neelan. Ray's last name isn't really Weinstein. It's not Neelan, though. No. I can't remember what that is, that but it's not that. that... Next storyline, I'm coming out. I'm coming oh, out, a different so I'm coming out. On Monday, James is as happy as a dog with two dicks because he's meeting up with Danny later and Michael says Ed has had a word with Danny so he's trying to make things better. <sighs> yeah. So Danny turns up to see James at home. Danny tells him that they need to talk but then Aggie arrives and interrupts and she interrupts for quite a while because later she's seen steaming her face while Danny and James are sitting on the couch waiting to have their chat, and she eventually goes upstairs, which allows Danny to start his breakup speech. Danny feels like he's back in the closet and doesn't think that James can come out and be a footballer. James recognises his dad's words in this and knows that Ed has been whispering to him. Ed comes in, and James looks like he's going to knock his dad's head off. Hmm. Later, James accuses Ed of telling Danny to dump him. Ed says that's not how the conversation went, but James is not interested. No matter how well he does in football, he will always be gay. And thanks to Ed, he'll always be unhappy and lonely and will always hate Ed for it. Tough but fair. Very powerful. Is it though? That was quite powerful, I thought. Hmm. You're not so, so sure about this? No, I'm very sure about it. I just don't, I just don't, I, I, I find it interesting and compelling and it carries the story further. I don't, I don't necessarily find it powerful. I thought it was quite powerful. Hmm. Just that he's going to be unhappy and lonely. It was just like a very sad realisation to yeah. come in. Sad. And quite depressing and, and quite depressing. A, and quite a stark thing to accuse your dad of doing. But it's true. Yeah, that's why it's powerful. Hmm. Sorry, I don't find awful parents powerful. No, it's not Ed that's powerful. It's James that's powerful. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Continue. That's it. Oh. Is that it? Nothing else mm. happens? No, not not storyline. I called it, though. I called it. I said that, that Danny was going to break up with him. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
<laughs> it's good though because it was it allowed me on on the Twitter to pull out my other my other theory. <laughs> my other Corey theory that we'll see if it happens or not. Oh. About 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 somebody else coming out of the closet sometime this year. Yeah, I don't think that's right. Mm. We'll see. I think that's a real stab in the dark. Mm. Our next storyline tonight is the unbearable Daniel of Osborne. Oh God. <laughs> On Monday. I hate this so much. Yeah, I do as well. I hate it so much. Isn't this the last story? No. Nope. Oh no, no. The last story is And lots of people are lots of people are hating it for different reasons to why we're hating it. Yeah. Some people are mad at Sarah for this. And mad at Beth. Unfairly. I think completely unfairly, yes. But unfortunately they've kind of they've kind of written it so that Beth looks horrible for the most part in the storyline. I don't think she does. I think she looks I think she looks absolutely brand new. I think she looks fair. I think it's I think it's only once we get to Friday that we see the fairness of this a little bit. I'm team Beth all week. Hmm. I'm team Beth. But I but there but there are moments where she comes off and and I shout at her, Sinead's dead. She's dead. Yeah, she remembers that, but maybe Daniel should fucking remember it. Yeah, maybe Bethany but, should fucking but, remember but it. But there are but there are yes, and absolutely. And Daniel is rushing into this and Bethany should know better and she's not. Uh, on this Mon- whole thing on is Monday, a then. Mess. We hate it. We hate it. Sarah has drawn up her table order and is bummed out when she thinks that Shona won't be there. That's just to remind us that Shona's not there. Correct. Then Bethany gets a text from her from a restaurant. This this confused me a little bit. Bethany gets a text from a restaurant. Her mm-hmm. application was unsuccessful, and Sarah thinks that any business would be lucky to have Bethany. Why? Because that's her daughter, and of course she's going to say okay, that. That's not what confused me, though. Okay. Then Bethany does that two-second smell fade thing that she does into the middle distance. Mm. Then Bethany, who doesn't work at the factory, is at the factory speaking with Sarah. Bethany tells Sarah again that she didn't get the restaurant job. No, no, this is a different restaurant job the second time. Oh, is it? Because she gets the text that she didn't get the restaurant job, and Sarah's like, oh, that's too bad. They'd be lucky to have you. And she says... That's okay. A friend of mine told me about another restaurant job, and I'm going to give them a call. Oh, okay. okay. So that's the that's the second one. Because for that entire episode, I'm thinking, why does she continually repeat herself to Sarah, who seems to forget? But that didn't happen. Okay. No. So you're the one who seems to forget. Right. Oh, well, I didn't. I just didn't know. I didn't forget anything. Bethany thinks that Ray has blacklisted her. Sarah it's offers her true. a job at the factory. It's not uh, ideal, ideal because uh, Sinead's pals will be working there, but Bethany has no other option. So Bethany goes round to see Daniel and asks if he'd have a problem with her working at the factory. It might be weird, he says, but he thinks that she should do it. Why would he have a problem? And then they winch. Why would he have a problem? This is this is her life. He's not the one who's going to be made uncomfortable. He's not the one who's going to get dirty looks at work. Right. Because, let's remember... Daniel still hasn't gone back to work for the sex pass that owns the bistro now. Because that's still his job when he hasn't gone back. End of October. I don't know, but Bertie seems to have aged a year since she's died. So he's going to be driving a car and and shaving next week. He's already started smoking. Oh, God. Bethany and Sarah are at the factory and about to make the big announcement to Beth. 
Sarah invites Beth for a drink to allow them to bury the hatchet. First you bag her fella, then you bag her job, says Beth. What Which next? Is... Her son? Stop Wait. trying to steal Sinead's life. And this is awful because this is untrue. Because Sinead was never in sales. She was one of the knicker people. Oh, but she's working at the factory. Yeah, but that's not stealing her job because it's a different job. No, at this point, um... This is a ridiculous thing for Beth to say. At this point, I'm standing up applauding. Well, no. well done, Beth. No, this particular one, and this is one of the ones where I said, she's dead and she wasn't in sales. She was a knicker person. Because nobody was in sales back then. Yeah. So, it's so not... how, did they, how did they fucking sell it? Doesn't it? Carla did everything, Carla remember? Carla nicked things, yeah. They, they arranged meetings with people. Right. Yes. That Joe. Scottish Joe. Whatever happened to Scottish Joe? <laughs> Poor Carol. <laughs> On Wednesday in the flat, Daniel says that Beth will I'm come round as long as she's I'm, wanting. I'm going to write a short story called Whatever Happened to Scottish Joe. <laughs> in the flat, Daniel says that Beth will come round so long as she's uh, wanting to see Bertie, which kind of sounded like a horrible threat there. Beth now announces that she finds out about the writing course thing today, so that's exciting, isn't it, Helen? Ooh. She isn't sure she wants it because they may not have time for each other. Uh, Daniel sickeningly says... Oh, shut the fuck up, Bethany. <laughs> this is the start of her true career, and he's going to be there for her. And I puked up in my mouth a little bit at that. Beth has been using the wrong materials for Peter Frampton order. <laughs> Peter Frampton comes alive in Underworld Knickers. Yep. She's been using the luxury gusset fabric. Sarah is about to go raj on Beth when Bethany pipes up and takes responsibility. Beth eyes Bethany with suspicion. Later, Beth wonders if Bethany's wanting uh, a medal. Bethany doesn't think that they can carry on like this, but Beth is prepared to do exactly that. Get yourself to fuck, Beth says. Then Sarah say, sees the tail end of this, and then Bethany goes off to get some air. Daniel has taken Bertie to the bistro. Arya congratulates Bethany, who isn't there, for exposing Ray. Hmm. Except it wasn't really Bethany that exposed Ray, was it? Well, she wrote that blog piece, so she, yes, she did. Did Abby not do it though? Ab- Abby Abby did that after the blog. Which piece. which do you think had the biggest effect? Probably the blog because more people saw that somehow because I oh I, I forgot because Be- plot. Bethany's SEO game is so on so fire. Point, right? Daniel says it's nice to hear someone say something nice for a change. Back at the flat, Sarah has tracked down Bethany. You can't sit here and get paid, she says. Then Bethany shows her mum the letter from the writing course. Her application was unsuccessful because her qualifications didn't meet the minimum requirement. But they sent her details and work, without her permission, to a fancy magazine, and she's been offered an internship. And yet she couldn't get into a writing course with the same material. But she can get an internship with a fancy magazine in that London. None of this makes any sense. Tim Bot? Tim Bot? What do you think? Tim Bot 4000 <laughs> says this does not compute. All right. For once, I agree with you, Tim Bot. And at this point, Logical Sense tips its hat, bids them both a good day, <laughs> and then jumps to its death out of the kitchen window. <laughs> yes. The idea that Bethany is this super writer. This, this savant. Right. Just doesn't doesn't really work for me. And the the fact that these these writing course people are like, yeah, 
this doesn't meet our standards, but we're going to pass it on to a magazine that we know and see if they like it. We've been in this writing game for some time now, you and I. Yeah. I think I started writing short stories in earnest. And to be fair, short stories and journalism, two different things. Right, but you start writing maybe writing. About sort of 15 years ago or something like that. Right. You write hundreds of short stories, hundreds of poems, and you get and book a, reviews a, and a things percentage like that. of them find a place and most get rejected. Right. Not once has someone said to me, yeah, we're not going to take this piece, but we've sent it to someone else. And this is the first time that she sent any of her writing away. Right, and and not once has anybody said, you know, we're not we're not going to accept it, but we're going to send it to somebody else. N- not once have we ever had another. Pu- when we were editors, not once did we have another publication say, "Hey, we can't accept this," but do, you might like it. Do you know why? Because it never happens and in you, real life, and you don't have time. No, because you get plenty of stuff on your own. Right. And Even no, a small easing like us that, that we had, we have were inundated with, with Do you know and... who's going to be pissed off about this internship? All those people that, that were in that writing course who are now qualified for an internship <laughs> then aren't going to get the internship because right. the person who's not qualified for the writing course got the internship. Sarah thinks Bethany's break into real journalism will open all sorts of doors. This is better than learning your trade, she says, and it's in that London, though, says Bethany. Sarah tells her to go for it, but Bethany doesn't want to leave Daniel. Sarah thinks this is ridiculous. Bethany's thinking is so blinkered it reminds her of how she used to talk about Nathan. Oh, that did not go down well, but she's right. She's putting Daniel above everything. Bethany wants to invest in the relationship rather than her career. Then Craig comes along to take care of Bertie. Daniel makes small talk about how this is going to help free up his time to organise a stag do, and Craig makes it clear he's doing this for Bertie, not for Daniel. Yeah, so and in future, Craig thinks that they should do this on the street, not in the flat. Come on, Craig. Good for you, pal. That was really good. And, and that just that, that hits you really hard, because as, as you posted on Twitter earlier this week, this is Craig we're talking about, yep. who once pushed Bethany out of the way of a moving car and Threw got himself, hit himself in front of a reversing vehicle. Uh, to save Bethany. And now he could not give a fuck. Daniel's idea of organising a stag do is having a pint in the Rovers. <laughs> Bethany comes in and asks them to go back to the flat. He susses that she wasn't accepted on that stupid course and he gives her a hug. Peter advises that they tone it down a little bit just in case Beth comes in and Daniel goes mad and drags Bethany away, which is what she wanted to do anyway. Back at the flat, Daniel is so angry he kicks over Bertie's walker. <laughs> what? A prick. Which is like a crappy walker from the 1970s, but that's okay. And also, he failed to kick it over it. It righted itself. (laughs) Also, you know you've fallen pretty far down the ditch when it's Peter giving you relationship advice (laughs) that you should probably take. He's uh, tired of living on the street where everyone's against him. Bethany says that she didn't go on the course. Idiots, says Daniel. Ugh. But he's pleased that she'll be sticking around. Everyone hates him, and she's the only one that he can count on. And Bethany does that look thing that she does. Yeah, like, well, I guess I'm stuck in this now. <laughs> then Bethany sees Craig with Bertie, and Craig just blanks her. The one guy who stood by her doesn't want anything to do with her. And along comes Sarah, and Bethany says that she's not going to take the job, and she hasn't told Daniel about it, and Sarah thinks that Daniel needs to know. 
Then on Friday, Bethany turns up at Daniel's and she seems to have left her phone there, but she's shocked to see that he's necked a couple of bottles of wine since she left. He claims it was medicinal and then slugs the remains from the glass. He and promises then to lay off the wine. Of having a headache. Right. He promises to lay off the wine at the stag do. He'll just stick to beer, beer and spirits. He tells her not to give up on her dreams. Then Adam, who doesn't work at the factory, is at the factory winching the face off of Sarah. This is the last time they'll see each other before the wedding because they're apparently having the stag and hen do's the night before, which is usually disaster waiting to happen. Correct. Then Bethany comes in and reveals what she's planned for Sarah. Karaoke in the Rovers. Thanks, Bethany. That's going to be fucking stellar. It could be worse. Then Bethany asks for a full-time job, but because she's packing in an internship at the magazine, Sarah tells her to bolt. At Roy's Rolls, Daniel announces to Adam that the stag do is equally lame. It's a superhero theme. It's speed dial. Except it's not even it's, that. It's 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 yeah. just going to speed dial. And getting drunk. And then, watching Imran get drunk. <laughs> then Daniel gets a call from Beth. Which is my favourite thing. <laughs> he hasn't got Bertie prepared and he says that he's got a lot on. Then he tells Adam that he and Bethany are the real deal. And Adam knows this because that she's turned down uh, moving to that London. This, of course, is news to Daniel. Speak to Bethany, says Adam. Then Daniel, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory and wants to speak to Bethany about that London job. He doesn't think that she can turn it down. Well, she doesn't just want to see him at the weekends, she says. Well, fine, he says. Me and Bertie will move down to that London with you. (gasps) So a woman working on an internship and a guy who doesn't have a job with a kid think that they can afford to live in London. That London. Meanwhile, yeah. in the metaphorical community garden, Mary is chatting to Brendan the Robin while uh, Beth and I Kirk... thought she'd given up that whole Robin thing. We like, haven't seen her talk to the stupid bird in more than in a year. A long time. So Beth and Kirk roll up with Bertie. Beth is upset when Mary thinks Bertie is a happy wee chappy, and Beth tells Kirk that she's sad because Bertie is her only connection back to Sinead. And, and she's happy and she feels guilty. Bethany doesn't think that Daniel can just up sticks to that London, but he thinks this is just what they need. That London equals happiness, except it doesn't because it's a fucking pit. They <laughs> winch, and he was looking at some dirt cheap rentals, by the way. A thousand pounds a month is nothing. Most of the two beds I could see were at least double that. So assuming 25% of your income is, goes to rent, that internship better be paying 100,000 a year. But it won't be because it's an internship. Yes. Probably unpaid. Probably unpaid off paying minimum wage. Later in the flat, Adam thinks Daniel should take his time about this. The family are going to go mental. And at this, in comes Beth, who wants to know what's what's going on. What's going to happen to Granddad? (laughs) I love the fact that Adam calls Ken Granddad. And and his contacts and his phone, it comes up Granddad. Granddad. Hello, Granddad. I'll be there just now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, your Scottish accent. It's coming along, isn't it? It's coming along. So she wants to know what's going on. Daniel announces that he and Bethany are moving to that London. Beth doesn't think Sinead would be happy about this, but Daniel says that thanks to Beth's behaviour, Sinead would be thrilled that he's getting out. Now beat it so I can drop Bertie off with Izzy. Izzy? <laughs> then Beth quite rightly points out that he's palming this kid off from pillar to post, from one babysitter to the other, and this seems to antagonise Daniel, who insists that he's a good dad. I'm a good dad. I like to kick over walkers. That are probably not child safety uh, uh, compliant. And failed and failed to do so. Adam thinks Beth should leave. The stag party. Who's all there? We have Well Daniel. Daniel. We have Adam. 
We have Imran. Mm -hmm. We have <laughs> we have Ben Price. Nick. <laughs> oh, we have Jack P. Shepard. Or was or was Nick there <laughs> was playing the, Ben Price? <laughs> was it Ben Price playing? Playing a version of himself. You've changed, Nick. <laughs> Again, not not that funny, but okay. And yet I can't stop laughing. I'm so overtired. Nick, David, and Peter. And somebody else is oh, and Ryan, Ryan is DJing. Is DJing because of course he is. Good times. <laughs> They've brought beers and tequila. Doubles all round. David's in a bit of a weird mood thanks to Shona hating his guts. Meanwhile, at the Rovers, the hen dude is... Peter is drinking orange juice, as he should. He must be the most regular man in Weatherfield. The amount of orange juice that he drinks. He's just made of vitamin C. <laughs> so, the Rovers... going to turn... I bet his pee is orange. The hen dude is... Gail, Audrey, Mary, Carla... I'm surprised she didn't drag Nina to this. Um, Kathy... Yeah, me too. Jenny... Because uh, she's working there. Okay. Liz, for some reason. <laughs> um, Tracy's not there. No. Which is weird. I think you just missed... Uh... Uh, wait, wait. I'm not done. Okay. Toya mm -hmm. and Leanne. That's it. Sarah's wearing a leather skirt. And she's, and she's I don't wearing know if you this... That. She's wearing this top that has these, these long icicles hanging off of it. You didn't notice the icicles, but you noticed the leather skirt. <laughs> Sue me. <laughs> Good times. Sarah has her L plates on, which is so ironic, it might actually go all the way around and be double ironic. Gail mm. is very excited about her dress tomorrow. Bethany I can't is wait late, to see this dress. but then turns up. Gail and Audrey sing, Enough is enough. <laughs> Gail is which back is to weird... being the, the, the town fool as she bends over trying to read the words on the. On the monitor, like from a foot away. Well, Jenny is still kind of foolish too. Kathy and Jenny are going to sing Up Where Belong, but Jenny needs to be the cocker. Love lift us up where we belong. Oh, yeah. At the Hindu, Bethany announces that she's accepted the internship. Sarah assumes that she'll just be coming home at weekends then. And Bethany lets her think this. Yes, that she'll just be coming home on the weekends to see Daniel. And oh, but you guys will be fine. Sarah announces the good news. Then Beth Gate crashes the party and announces that Bethany is stealing Bertie away from her, announcing that Bethany has taken Daniel and Bertie with her to that London. Tell me this isn't true, says Sarah. And then she storms out of her own Hindu, determined not to let Bethany make the biggest mistake of her life. And people, for some reason, are mad at her for doing this on the Twitter, and I don't understand why, because this is exactly what a mum would do. Right. Sarah and Bethany burst into speed dial. This is utter bullshit, Sarah says. Sarah says that you can't fuck up other people's lives like this. To Daniel. She points out that Daniel is messed up in grief and has a kid when Bethany should be focusing on her career. He'll drag her down. And Daniel looks like he's about to slug Sarah until Adam steps in. Bethany says that she loves him. This is not the end of the conversation, says Sarah, who then has a dig at Adam for not telling her. Bethany does that look thing that she does. And this is the this is the one thing that I don't agree with Sarah, because Adam really didn't have time to tell her. No. Daniel is pissed and trying to look for accommodation in that London, but can only find bedsits. This does not please He's Bethany. He's looking at the same ones he was looking at before. <laughs> she, asks if she, she asks if he's sure. He takes this to mean that she doesn't want him to come. 
she just doesn't want him to do something that he's going to regret and he thinks that they can make this work. They were meant to be together. They winch again and then they hug as Daniel sees a photo of Sinead on the sideboard or the mantelpiece or something. Yeah, on the mantelpiece and kind of, for the first time, looks unsure. Right. And I think that's the picture that he hi- that he put Adam and Sarah's rings behind as well. Yes, correct. Yes. Which I didn't mention. No. Uh, so lots of uses of pictures in and photographs in Yeah, this. there was a Ken and Deirdre at right. number one shot as well. It was quite nice. Yeah, when he was he was talking and for some reason at, at first I thought he was talking to Deirdre and then you see that Peter's in the room as well. Right. <laughs> Did you notice at uh that at, at Tim and Sally's there's there's a picture in there's a picture there of, of Tim and Tiny. What is there? In a frame. <laughs> That's lovely. Like in pride of place. I like that. Yeah. So the wedding's tomorrow, or Monday then. Yes. Is it going to go well? Are they going to end up married, do you think? I hope they end up married because... Me too. This is such a stupid thing for them not to get married because of... Plus, I want to see all the um, the Macintosh oh, the, stuff. Yeah, children in the Macintosh. I was drinking out of that cup yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what about... Daniel and Bethany then. Daniel's not leaving. No. Bethany's definitely leaving. Right. Daniel's not leaving. I I admit to seeing a little bit of a spoiler about next week. And it seems that Daniel is not done with annoying the shit out of me. <laughs> well, no. There's, not there's, until he leaves the show will there's, he there's some stop more, annoying you. There's some more of that to come next week. Okay. He's kind of an annoying character. Penultimate storyline tonight is Claude, Just like his dad. Quad Yoga. On Monday, Alan is in his crib doing his best Tom York impression. Gemma wants <laughs> Gemma wants to go back to the hospital. She has other questions that she didn't ask yesterday and Ches agrees to go with. Gemma and Chesney are at the hospital speaking to the doctor. What's your questions? And it turns out their questions are the same questions that they had last time. Well, no, they ask more detailed questions about exactly what happens when you get a, a cochlear implant yeah and Gemma's worried about that procedure it sounds too gruesome for Gemma and Ches and then the doctor continues to read from the uh, cochlear implant manual for a minute or two right yeah and to be fair the way the doctor puts it does sound kind of medieval with the drilling We're going the to holes drill in your, into skull. your baby's head <laughs> first of all that's the first bit we're going to drill holes in your baby's skull Ches is talking to Alad just randomly Ches is talking to Alad uh, Gemma watches him and looks sad. It was nice listening to that, she says, but Alad couldn't hear a word. Yeah, but he probably feels the vibrations. vibrations yeah. Gemma's sitting watching Alad sleep. She wants to be the first thing he sees when he wakes up, which Chesney points out is unsustainable. Correct. So Gemma's asleep when Chesney wakes her up with a mobile for Alad's caught, and it's covered and it terrifies in photos. Her. <laughs> it's covered because it's covered in photos of Gemma. She thinks it's genius. He's also booked to quads on the baby senses classes thing and has learned sign language for I love you. And Aww. Gemma looks happier than she's done in months. On Wednesday, Emma meets Gemma and Kathy and the quads. Emma's helping out at the sensory thing. Gemma is worried that she'll be a freak show with four kids. It'll be a disaster. And Kathy says, if it's that bad, well, you just leave. Wise words there from Kathy. The mums are singing Quills on the Bus and Gemma is joining in, but a bit half-heartedly. And going round and round. Emma, though, is having a ball. And yes, Kathy thinks Alice really enjoyed that. Gemma gets a bit of confidence from hearing the mums talk about their parenting nightmares. She's not, she doesn't feel on her own. 
And Gemma's keen to go back next week, but Cathy and Emma have work to do. One of the other mums offers to help out with Gemma's four, and she makes friends with two of them who invite her to yoga tomorrow, and they offer to help with that too. And they seem really nice. Gemma, well... Well, they seem really nice there. Gemma's at home doing yoga. The corpse pose. Gemma, <laughs> Chess comes in and thinks that she's dead. She tells him about the other mums, Imogen and Vanessa. Hmm, nice names. And the yoga thing tomorrow. He's pleased that she's meeting new people. Gemma goes back to her yoga and looks like she's about to shit herself. On Friday, Gemma's at Speed Dial where, inexplicably, this is where the baby yoga has taken place. Which is weird. It's really weird. They have a community centre right. just for this sort of thing. Gemma's not really dressed for it and her new pals kind of giggle and take the piss out of how uh, skeevy Gemma is. It, it makes no sense to me that she wore jeans to yoga. She's, she's not the she's brightest not bulb, right. but she's not that dumb. Gemma's worried that her jeans are going to rip. So the yoga yoga continues and one of her new friends continues to take the piss. But back home, Gemma says that she really enjoyed herself and feels like she's got mates again. She's off to soft play on Friday with them and it seems that her jeans did indeed rip. Yes, we don't get to see it, but we get to see her sewing them back up quite happily. That was pretty funny. But she'll remember to wear trackers next time. Right. Good job, Gemma. Uh, Much to say about this. The two new friends being... Kind of well, one's nasty. I don't know which one. No, the other one giggles. They they seem to both kind of be nasty, and that really bums me out because when we first meet them, they're they seem really nice. But at the same time, when they were really nice, I was like, oh god, this worries me that they're actually going to be real dicks to her, right? Because they're they're made up. They look like they have more money and stuff going on right yeah and what and names like imogen and vanessa give the idea that they're does it really yeah i think that's what it's designed to do yeah that's dumb our final storyline tonight tim's fucking dad you know what you know what huh that that word again was huh having his dick run through um roy's deli slicer yes is too Whil- good for him. Whilst on fire. It's too good for him. Something needs to be done that will hurt much more than that. Something more medieval, I think. Hmm. We can we can toss ideas about for this yes. later. On Wednesday, Tim's fucking dad is telling shite bread slash curry related jokes to Yasmin, who manages not to punch him in the throat. <laughs> Alia comes in announcing that uh, leaving to work at the bistro was a huge mistake, and she asks to come back. Of course says Yasmin. It's not like we can deny you anyway because you, you own do half own of this half thing. of this property. Tim's dad gets wind of this and pretends to be happy about it. Yasmin checks that Tim's dad is fine with Alia coming back and he says that he is and he calls Alia an asset. Tim's dad apologises to two customers for the slow service today and not having the paneer that they wanted and the customers look really? What? It's on the house. Yasmin is telling Alia that Charlotte hasn't laid eggs in ages. Tim's dad comes over and tells him that he had to comp that meal to those two because they were, uh, because the two of them were catching up and it's been affecting service. Uh-oh. Yasmin gets up and puts her back out. She's hurt herself moving the couch to vacuum under it, and this seems to take Alia by surprise. Yeah. The dust plays havoc with uh, Tim's dad's allergies. Don't blame me, says Tim's dad, and he oh, encourages Yasmin to go home. And then he has a dig at Alia, and she seems to smell a little bit of shit here. Mm-hmm. Alia has a dig at Tim's dad for uh, mucking up Tracy's order. She ordered three rice, not two, and the order 
they argue about Alia's handwriting, and Tim's dad patronises her, saying that she'll be back up to speed soon. He then shows her a bad review that's been left online that he obviously wrote himself. Mm-hmm. Alia admits that she doesn't like Tim's dad. Let's keep things prof- professional, shall we? Yes. Then on Friday... I've worried about this chicken for weeks. Do do we really need to talk about Friday? Yep. Mm. Charlotte the chicken isn't eaten. Yasmin is really worried about her. Then Alia turns up hoping that Yasmin will be able to go to work today, but Tim's dad has insisted that she stays at home. Even though she looks fine. Yep. Whatever Tim's dad says goes, says Alia, and then she goes on to explain about the negative review. Yasmin wants the two of them to be close. Uh, Tim's dad and Alia, that is. Yes, and she insists that Tim's dad really likes Alia mm. and says such glowing things about her. Calls her an asset, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Then Charlotte starts eating and Yasmin Yay. is made up. So Tim's dad comes home to Yasmin saying that there have been other complaints about Alia. Yasmin is thrilled to announce that Charlotte is eating again and Tim's dad is pissed when he realises that Yasmin hasn't made dinner. She says that she was busy cleaning out the chicken coop and he says that the coop is cleaner than the house and sends her off to make him his fucking dinner. Right, and why do the chickens get treated better than I do? Right. Go fuck yourself. Because you're a cock. (laughs) Yasmin has quickly rustled up something for Tim's dad. There's no meat, but it looks delicious, whatever she's made. Yeah, but it makes a gross sound. There's no meat. That has been added in to the... (laughs) What makes a gross sound? The stew, when when she puts it next to the rice, it makes a... It looks lovely. It did look nice. I would eat it. There's no meat in it, so he throws it out. He'll make his own dinner, and he sends it upstairs. He'll call her down when it's ready. And that's foreboding. And then he goes outside with feet. Hey, Charlotte. And gloves on. Yeah. Red gloves. Hey, Charlotte. Come to Uncle Tim's dad, he says. And then we see a shot of a full moon. And it's very creepy. Because Tim's dad's about to commit murder. Murder! Everside? I gave a side. Mm. At speed dial, Alia reveals to Ryan how much she hates Tim's dad and how Yasmin has changed recently. And Ryan's like, he seems alright to me because <laughs> I am a dude. Later, Tim's dad shouts that dinner is ready. Yasmin comes down and says that it smells delicious, but where did this food com- come from? Where did the extra money come from? And he waits until Yasmin has started eating before he announces that what she's eaten is Charlotte. Then he proposes a toast to the dead chicken and Yasmin spits her food out and rushes out of the kitchen. And then throws up. Tim's dad goes outside. He's so cruel with it too because he's because she's like, oh, this is really good. You know, and he's just watching her eat it. He's waiting he until, waits until she's, she's eaten it, yeah. eaten it and swallowed and taken a number of bites before he says it. He knows exactly what he's oh, doing. Oh, absolutely. And he's a piece of shit. Tim's dad goes outside to see uh, Yasmin, who's kind of bent over the, the chicken coop crying. What's the problem, he asks. How dare you, Yasmin says, utterly heartbroken. And Tim's dad pretends not to understand why she's upset. It's like, you said that these weren't pets, that this was for food. For eggs, says Yasmin. Well, well, she hasn't been laying. She's been in chicken menopause Menopause. or something. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Yasmin rushes off to throw up. Later, Tim's dad says that he thought Yasmin would have been happy. He says it was hard work murdering that chicken. And plucking it. It It would have taken far far longer than... Right. Than the time allowed to kill the chicken, gut the chicken, pluck the chicken, skin the chicken, bake the chicken. But then he also says that the chicken put up quite a fight, which I thought was unnecessarily cruel mm. as well. Yes. Uh, 
It says that if Yasmin hadn't fucked up dinner, none of this would have happened. And he goes off for a pint and a pack right. of chips. It's your fault that Charlotte Bronte has been murdered. Yasmin. So Yasmin is crying over the chicken coop again. And Gail is out her backyard and asks what's wrong. Yasmin pretends it's nothing. She just has a cold or something. And, rushes ba- and then she rushes back inside. Later, Gail sees Alia and explains about seeing Yasmin crying in the garden. And Alia gets a bee in her bonnet about this. Hmm. Hmm. So she wants to go and check on her Gran and Ryan's like, but it's so late. I don't want to get my hold. I've been dealing with all of these drunk idiots. And later, Yasmin is back in the house cleaning again when Tim's dad comes home and without a word to her, he takes off his jacket and goes upstairs. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Yay! That was an effort this week. Yeah. That was an effort. (laughs) Not a good effort. There's sometimes that writing between four and 6,000 words of Coronation Street notes is easier than others. Mm. This was a... Tough week. Tough week. So, are we are we anywhere near getting a resolution to this Tim's dad storyline? It seems I that Alia is getting closer to the truth. And it seems like more people are realising that Yasmin is unhappy because this is the first time Gail has noticed, even though they're neighbours. Right. Yeah, and she must hear what she, what Tim hears on the other side of it. Right. Hmm. It's 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 got to be it's got to be coming to a head because this is this was really kind of the first time that well, it's actually the second time that you see Yasmin kind of break a little bit, you know, because this is. Well, let's remember, just two weeks ago, she was locked in a box. Yeah. So that surely has but still remember, scarred her a bit. But remember, the whole locked in a box thing, she almost left him mm-hmm. after locked in a box. <laughs> Which still makes me think about dick in a box. And I am sorry, Yasmin, because you're not a dick. But this whole killing her beloved chicken, who it was her favorite, obviously, oh, because obviously. she named her Charlotte yeah. Bronte. Not the name. Don't they all have names? I don't Aren't know. They I think all Charlotte's named? the only one that I know. Aren't they all named for? But either you know? way, you don't, you don't name an animal that you intend to kill and eat, right? And it was awful the way she's like, "Oh, it's so it's so good and and tender," and the way he he revels in saying, "Oh, good, Not I wasn't dry, sure." Cause it was Not too bird. dry because you know she was getting on in years, and I was worried about it. Oh, just chilly. He he might as well have just. Shot Eccles. <laughs> Eccles done nothing wrong to anybody. And, and, and still lays eggs. <laughs> and Eccles shits in the street <laughs> with David. The, uh, is, it, is it Claudia that steps in it? Yes. Or was it Beth? It was Claudia. It was, Claudia. It was Beth's. It was uh, Beth's dog. It was Beth's Peanut. dog. Peanut. Peanut. Yes. Dropped a peanut. Anyway. Anyway. Let's wrap this up because you need Please. to get up early doors. So, moment yes. of the week. James confronting his dad. Really? Because when I made a, a play for that saying that it was it was powerful, you were like, that wasn't fucking powerful. What are you talking well, about? it was... It's the best we've got. It was between... For me, it was between that and, and Imran playing drums on glasses and getting drunk. Which was adorable. <laughs> Those were my two moments of the week. I don't think I want to capture either of those things. But it's not a moment where 
How about Sarah confronting Daniel? No. Because that was kind of awful. And it wasn't... Her getting mad at Adam was dumb. As part of that. And it could have been so much better. Uh, okay, let's just go into the James and Ed thing, because I, I honestly don't... Yeah. It's a, it. it's a low bar this week. That's it. But, you know, you, you make a fair point about, uh, you know, the thing that he says there at the end about... Oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely that line. That yeah. line in particular is yes. that's exactly what I'm talking about. So. Right. So it's that's important. Our, that's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Kathy, er, yeah, Kathy trying to get people to sing with her. Actually, I think the stag and hen do's collectively, with the exception of Imran or, playing the drums, is probably or, the boring moment of the week. Or, or who, who was it that goes over and tells Ryan to turn it up? That's David. David walking over to Ryan and telling him to turn it up. And then Ryan going, thumbs up. And turn, and turn it off. That's our boring moment of the week. Boring moment. Of the week. <laughs> oh, <laughs> come on, Corey, be better. Oh, this wedding had better be fantastic. Shall we wrap this up, please? If you've given your girlfriend a false alibi, been caught in a lie, and then been forced to sell your business without consulting a partner who owns twenty percent of it, you better believe we want to hear about that. <laughs> Go to talkofthestreetgmail.com for emails, for voicemails on Skype, and on PayPal if you want to drop a couple of squidlings into our virtual tip jar. For all other social media types, we're at Corey Podcast. Write to us; we'll probably read it out. Also, pre- please and rate- we'll write back. Also, please rate and review on the iTunes if you have a spare moment. Thanks. And a spare change in our in our PayPal thing. I've already said that. Oh. Well, I'm reiterating it. Please. Because I'm so tired of selling cookies. <laughs> Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more Talk, Talk of, of the, the Street. street. Cheerio. Good night. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.